Well, good morning, everyone. Everybody's doing good. What a wonderful time of worship. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Wes, and I'm a missions pastor here. And uh, coming up this week, this week it'll be 12 years that I've been on staff, which is, gosh, it's crazy to, to think it's gone that quickly. And it's, it's, it's always a little bit weird because where I, I came from the International Mission Board, where I was there for just about 12 years. So I'm hitting that point where I'm 24 years and doing this mission stuff over here, and I'm starting to get it a little bit. Um, but when I was when I was up there at the mission board, uh, one of I had several jobs along the way. One was uh, was doing training for missionaries coming uh, before they went out on the field, and when they came back and they furloughed in, and a couple of other things in business and computers and project management. But uh, during that time, I had a chance to to meet a lot of missionaries. They were coming in, and like I said, they were training. And they were getting me sent out, and then they were coming in after coming off the field. And I really got a chance to just really interact with a lot of them. But it was in 1999, which I can't believe it's been that long. We uh, went into uh, went into Harare, uh, Zimbabwe. We were doing putting in a, a network server for the Southern Africa Regional Office. And it was during that time that I got a chance to to work and meet a couple of missionaries that were right there in Harare working. And uh, and that's where I'm going to introduce our, our speaker today. Uh, one of the missionaries that I, that I met at the time was, was D. Ray Davis, which is here, and his wife, Kim. And they invited us over, <clears throat> excuse me, for dinner. And they were just telling the work that they were doing in Zimbabwe. And I was just kind of like just staring at them because I could not believe it. I said, out of all the people that I've met, all the people that I had trained coming through here, I was like, oh, my gosh. I finally met a real missionary. And, and it, it, was not, it was nothing to do with the people that I had met before. It was They were telling stories of the people that they were working with. And you just saw it in their eye, their heart for the people. And Kim was going out and doing sewing and just in the villages. And it was just, I was like, I was, it touched me because I was like, wow, I have, this is, this is when you picture a missionary and you picture somebody who's, you know, called and planted their life and planted their life among people. This, this was it. This was the standard that I had. So anyway, um, D-Ray and I have been, been friends ever since. And so I'm going to turn it over to him. And just uh, he's going to share a mission story with you and just uh, and challenge you, I think, in, in probably all areas. But anyway, thank you. Thanks, Wes. <clears throat> My mother married a Muslim man when I was only seven years old. Not me, but that's how... The story that Ashley Martin told me when I was recently in Cape Town, South Africa. I met him there and in his story he said, uh, he confessed that as a young man growing up, all he wanted to do was to be a gang member. That's what he wanted to be. He happened to live in Lavender Hill. It's a gang infested area of Cape Town, South Africa. Well, his wish came true and he became a gang member. But that wasn't good enough for Ashley. He wanted to join a better gang. Um, for us, it would be a worse gang. It was a gang that was feared by all the others. But in order to join that gang, he would have to first go to prison because that's where all the gang members came out of that gang. They came from prison. Well, Ashley and some other gang member friends made a plan. They would rob a rich man and hopefully, maybe one crime after another, they would be imprisoned. So one night, they staked out an ATM, and a supposed rich man came up to get some money out of the ATM. As the man headed back to his car, Ashley and his friends pounced on the man. They pushed him into the middle of the the car. Ashley said, I put a gun to his head. The other gang members jumped in the back seat. 
He began to demand his keys. There was shouting. There was chaos. The victim, sitting in the middle seat, began to raise his hands and lowered his head. And he shouted, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Ashley's brave brave gangster friends in the back seat bolted. They left the car doors open. Ashley said, I stiffened up and I became incapacitated. And I just inadvertently cried out, oh God. The man in the car began to pray for a spirit of calm. And he turned and asked Ashley, what do you want God to do for you? And he said, I want God to save me. Right there. At the scene of the crime, the victim led Ashley, the perpetrator, to Christ. And now Ashley is partnering with our missionaries to plant a church in gang-infested Lavender Hill. A testimony like this is simply a story of what God does in the life of a person. You have a testimony. It's your story. And let me remind you, Revelation 12, 11 tells us that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and because we do not love our own lives even to the point of death. This is a testimony of one person. But have you ever stopped, stepped back, and thought about this? The church has a testimony. The church has a testimony through the ages of how God has worked in the world and through his bride. The great commission that we've been given has not changed. But today I want to talk to you about the fact that the times have changed. Every generation has addressed the great commission in their unique time in history, in their paradigm, so to speak. There's a very interesting quote in a book that I read. The the book is called Choosing a Future for U.S. Missions. The authors write, what we see is what our paradigms allow us to see. The authors go on to say, time is both measurable and predictable, but the times are not. You need a different kind of lens to see the times. Today, I want us to break out of old paradigms and see a new paradigm. There's a great story in First Chronicles 12, 1 through 38. We won't read the whole passage, but let me summarize some of it. We read in that story about David at Ziklag and how he and his men were trying to help him become king over Israel. And who were his men? Well, there's a list of them, the different tribes. They were called the mighty men who helped him in war. They were bearing shield and spear. They were mighty men of valor. They were seasoned troops. They were equipped with weapons. They were equipped and they were ready for battle. They were armed with the weapons of war, but stuck right in the middle of the passage. It talks about the sons or the tribe of Issachar, men who understood the times, knowing what Israel should do. There's another quote in that book, Choosing a Future for U.S. Missions. The ability to understand the times and know what to do about it could place the church, could place the church presently in the future tense of the mission of God. So if you happen to be stuck in an old paradigm, I'm going to hope that today will be like the smashing of an old paradigm of what mission is and embracing a new paradigm. So I want to set the stage and talk about this overall church testimony, if you will. 
It's, it begins, it's a really a fa- fascinating story, but it begins with Jesus giving us the Great Commission. And let's just quickly read that, the Great Commission. We all know it, but let's just hear it again. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. From that point on, the giving of the Great Commission to modern times, I would say that any progress the church made was difficult. It was costly. It was nearly impossible. Travel, for example, was arduous at best. Communication was near non-existent. Needless to say, there was little momentum through history with the Great Commission. But then, enter William Carey, 1792. He has become, for me, like a hero. Modern missions is generally acknowledged as having begun in 1792. Um, William Carey wrote this, this treatise called, the short version is called, An Inquiry into Our Obligation. In that, he states, Do not the goodness of the cause, the duties incumbent on us as creatures of God and Christians and the perishing state of our fellow men loudly call upon us to venture all and use every warrantable exertion for their benefit. William Carey zealously shared this conviction with the church. And he just shared that the church needed to awaken and do all it could to use every warrantable exertion for the lost. Well, many missionaries would tell you today that they often hear objections to going overseas, even from within the church. Well, they're not alone. William Carey heard objections at a meeting where he is zealously sharing this passion. uh, An older Baptist leader stood up to confront Carey. He told him to sit down and be quiet. If God wanted to save the heathen, he could do it with or without us. Well, to be fair, there really were some valid objections to the Great Commission. It, It was almost impossible to travel long distances. And so... This next historical nugget from 1792 blew my mind when I read his treatise. He said, whatever objections might have been made before the invention of the mariner's compass, nothing can be alleged for it. Providence seems in a manner to invite us to the trial. So forgive me, I'm not really a historian, But forgive me for geeking out a bit on this little nugget of history. Do you realize what happened here? William Carey says, we've got the Great Commission. We've got ships. And now we have a compass. And we can actually do what we're told. You see, the compass removed the primary obstacle. And it opened up the first era of modern missions to the coastlands. After all, we had ships. We had a compass. We went to the coastlands. Kerry, again, we have a ship, and now we have a compass. And he is a man, I believe, like Issachar, who understood the times and knew what the church should do. He even recognized providence. God himself seems to invite us to the trial. Well, the first era of missions ended in about 1910, but during that era... Um, to the to the coastlands era, those who lived on the coastlands began to look inland. 
They began to see the need uh, in, inland, in the inlands. And to the interior era began about 1865. It was about 1853. David Livingston looked inland and he saw by the light of the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary had ever been. And he asked, can the love of Christ not carry the missionary where the slave trade carries the trader? I shall open up a path to the interior or perish. You can add to Livingston's voice, our own Lottie Moon's voice. In 1887, she said, the time seems ripe for our mission to emulate the example of others and push on into the interior. I would contend David Livingston and Lottie Moon understood their times and the church moved to the interior from 1865 to 1980. In about 1934, during the To the Interior era, new insights began to emerge. It wasn't enough, we realized, to be on the coastlands. It wasn't enough to be in the inlands because in those places, coastlands and inlands, were diverse people groups. They had diverse cultures, diverse languages, diverse worldviews. So fast forward to 1974. Ralph Winter, a a missiologist, stated at, at a Lausanne conference, the imperative of the Great Commission extended to every people group, not just every modern country. Contemporary leaders of his and those after him would continue to help us acknowledge uh, the vast diversity on the coastlands, in the inlands, among all the nations. And so the third era that we had was to every people group. So let me pause here and say this historical overview, this testimony of the church that I've given up to this point, is generally accepted by missiologists. You can actually read about it in courses and uh, in, in books and in courses you'll hear about it in articles. So I want to go on record very quickly and, and be ex- ex- extremely clear. We continue to do our work on the coastlands. We continue to do our work in the interior. We continue to do our work focused upon specific people groups. These three eras, what, what they've identified here are three primary fortes or three areas of importance or impetus during that period of time. But I believe we may have entered a fourth era. The focus of the fourth era is not where we go, coastlands or interior. It's not to whom we go, different people groups. To me, the fourth era is about you. It's about all of us. It's about how we together can be, not just can be, should be more involved. Every single disciple in every single church. Essentially, and I would say unintentionally, over time, we have outsourced the Great Commission. We've turned it over to professionals, to agencies, which we still need, but we don't need to just simply outsource it anymore. So I want to inspire every single one of you, every disciple, to a renewed obedience to the same great commission. Because it's a new day. These are new times. As my own pastor has said, the great commission is way too important to leave it up to a class of professionals only. So I want to challenge 
every church. I want to challenge today your church. And not only your church, I want to, I want to challenge every single disciple in this church with what I contend may be the fourth era of missions. Remember in First Chronicles, um, I mentioned David needed the sons of Issachar to help him understand the times so that they would know what they should be doing. I think we need the same thing today. You see, the impetus of that first era of modern missions was a compass. The impetus of the new era is not just a compass. I think today's era is driven by our ability to connect, our ability to communicate, our ability and freedom to travel. The Great Commission uh, playing field has been leveled for all of us. Here's my question. If William Carey responded to a compass in 1792... We need to respond in 2018 and beyond with what God has given us. We, like him, need to use every warrantable exertion for the benefit of the world's people. Again, the Great Commission has not changed. It's the times that have changed. The Great Commission has always been given to every disciple. It's been given to every church. But now, more than any time in all of history... Everyone is able to do more. They're able to be involved more broadly, more deeply, more comprehensively than ever before. There's a missiologist named Herb Cain, and he writes, We may be entering a new era when missionary work will not be left to professional missionaries. So I I share this historical overview, this testimony, um, because it's important, I believe, for us to realize that we're part of a journey. We're part of a historical move of the church to take the Great Commission. And today, it requires every single one of us. Every disciple in every generation has had their opportunity to live and serve at their unique time. And now, we live today. This is your day. These are our times. Every church and every disciple should do all they can with what they have. And we have more than a compass. We have instantaneous communication. We have ease of air travel. We have the internet to connect and to research. We can equip in our local churches to go to a people group. We can pray in a so much more informed manner than ever before. We can give more generously. Brothers and sisters, let's admit we are wealthy compared to the world. We can go more easily and more often. We can sin more creatively than we've ever done before. Let me ask you this way. If William Carey launched the first era of missions with a compass, what would he do today? What would he do with what we have today? So shouldn't we, like William Carey, use every warrantable exertion for their benefit? Here's another way to ask it. Is your church full of average disciples? Because that is who has been given the Great Commission. I never underestimate a single church that I I visit I, I never understand, uh, underestimate the impact that one church can make. I want to share a, a story about Silverdale Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chuck Tanner, the missions pastor, uh, contacted me in 1998. 
And uh, later he began to partner with one of our IMB missionaries in Zambia. Happened to be my younger brother, Darren. On their first trip to Zambia, they discussed with the field team a long-term partnership. And over the next six years, the church joined in with my brother and his team and in concert with their strategy. Over time, though, the church actually spoke into strategy. After all, they gained experience. They had gained insight. Um, Six years into the partnership, they hosted a summit at their church to challenge other churches. The pastor stood to share Silverdale's story, and it went something like this. He said, six years before we partnered with IMB, we had zero missionaries out of our church. The past six years, we've seen 12 members leave and move overseas. The six years before we partnered, we had five trips with 34 people in our church involved. The past six years, we've had 54 trips with 919 people involved. He said the first six years, we gave a, a, a comprehensively gave $870,000 to mission causes. But the last six years, we have given, we have given $2.7 million to mission causes. Then he added something. He said the church has doubled in size in the last six years. Well, that was 2004 or five, and I lost track uh, until recently in 2017, a missionary came up to me to say, I, I just wanted to stop and say thank you. I said, well, you're welcome. What for? He said, well, I serve in East Asia. My name is Eric, and I am from Silverdale. Well, I realized here's a missionary that's come out of the church that I didn't know. So I reconnected with Chuck Tanner, the, pa- the missions pastor. I asked him for an update. He said, well, they continue to partner But also, he added, between 1998 and 2017, they've seen 29 missionaries come out of their church, with 22 still on the field today. Some seven had completed their terms. Silverdale, I just want to contend, partners with IMB to this day, and they're playing a role, their pivotal role in the Great Commission. Or I would say it this way, Silverdale understands the times and they know what they should do. They are venturing all, and they're using every warrantable exertion for the benefit of the peoples of the world. I was on a conference call this summer with a pastor uh, from Texas. Uh, pastor Fred Smith set up the call. He wanted some help connecting one of their couples who was wanting to move to Montenegro. Um, we began to talk, and the conversation went something like this. He uh, told me that a couple in their church was wanting to move to Montenegro on purpose. Uh, They wanted to get a job there and to work, but they wanted to join our mission team and join in mission work. He backed up a little bit to tell me some of their history, and he said, about six years ago, we engaged with a people group in East Asia. We went a few times, he said, but it was really difficult work, and we realized we needed someone on the ground. So they began to pray as a church. And they actually sent a couple to live there. Uh, this, per, the, this couple was assessed and sent through IMB. And they identified this couple and they moved to live there, to work, and to connect Calvary Baptist's work. Uh, Calvary Baptist from Tyler, Texas. And their work in East Asia is going well, he, he added. Then he continued on to talk about this new couple wanting to move to Montenegro. Well, during the call, I was trying to learn as much as I could about this church and their involvement. And somewhere during the conversation, Pastor Fred mentioned Calvary Baptist in Tyler, Texas, is a church of 70 people. 
70 people. This stopped me dead in my tracks. I backed up and I said, wait a minute. Did you say you're sending your second couple and you're partnering to reach an East Asian people and you're a church of only 70 people? You see, brothers and sisters, it's not about the size. It's not even about the wealth of a church. It's about your DNA. It's about your identity more than anything else. An identity change permeates the whole church. I'll share another example uh, out of First Baptist Andersonville, Tennessee. Uh, Pastor Steve Lakin called me several years ago to ask about the financial cost of one missionary unit. He wanted to consider his church supporting one missionary. Well, I looked up and got with our finance department and um, found out that the average cost for one family, including all travel and education needs and living and work, all that added up to about $90,000 a year. Well, I connected the church with John and Jen. The church agreed. We want to support one. We'd like to have a celebration. Will you come? Well, I came. John and Jen came. But before I went, I did a little research. I was shocked to find out First Baptist, Andersonville, Tennessee, has about 94 people in the church. Their giving over the past few years was between 13000 a year and 18000 a year to missions. So when we arrived for this celebration, I, I just had to ask, Steve, uh, what happened? What made you call the IMB? He said, I don't mind telling you at all. One day, he said, I was reviewing our church budget in my office, and a layman walked by and asked me what I was doing. And I told him, um, I'm reviewing our church budget. He then added, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, he went on to explain, our building is paid off. The church pays me and one other staff. We're in the black. And we have $270,000 in reserves. The lay leader smiled, gave him a thumbs up, started to walk off and said, Pastor, I can't wait to stand before God and tell him we had 270000 in reserves. And then he walked off. Pastor Lakin told me I couldn't sleep for three nights, and that's when I called. He said, the next Sunday, after I learned what it would cost, I laid out a vision through tears with my church, and the next Sunday, we began to put the $270,000 to work. He said, after I preached, a couple came up to me and said, Pastor, I believe in what you're doing. We were about to take a vacation. We want to add 5000 to your fund. Another couple, a retired couple, walked up. Said, Pastor, we believe in this. We were, we were selling some property up in Kentucky. We're going to take 200000 and we're going to add it to your fund. Yes, you heard right. That fund grew to $475,000 in a church of 94 people. When I heard this, I thought of 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, where the Macedonians begged for the favor of support to the saints. In other words, they begged to venture all and use every warrantable exertion for their benefit. So let me ask you, as I wrap this up, why do I tell you this centuries-long Great Commission story? Why do I tell you about faithful Silverdale Baptist, Calvary Baptist? Why do I tell you about First Baptist Andersonville with 94 people? Why do I tell you about Ashley Martin, whose testimony I shared at the beginning. Here's why. We are all a part of a gospel journey, a collective testimony, a testimony of the church throughout the ages. But it's our turn. 
This is our day. These are our times. So with William Carey, I want to ask you something. Does not this Great Commission cause loudly call upon you and me to venture all and use every warrantable exertion for their benefit? I reviewed this history this morning because I have a challenge for you. Will you, not you, but you, every single one of you, will you venture all? Will you use every warrantable exertion to join the Great Commission story? We sang a moment ago, I want to be close, close to your side. If you want to be close, close to his side, you'll be venturing all, using every warrantable exertion for the sake of the lost. Let me interpret some of Carrie's words. Will you surrender all, abandon all to make disciples on coastlands, inlands, or to people groups? Will you in this day, in our times, on our watch, be discerning and recognize that God has given you every good and perfect gift to be exerted for him, to be used and employed for his gospel? Will you venture all and pray? Pray for your involvement. Pray for your church's involvement in the nations. Will you give? Will you use every warrantable exertion in your giving? Don't hoard your reserves. Unleash your giving to impact your church's partnerships. Will you go? I know you've been given this in in your bulletin. Will you go? Your church is involved in several places strategically. Ukraine, Nepal, Nicaragua, Zimbabwe, and Haiti. Will you venture all if God asks you to be sent, to allow your church to send you to plant your life? I have a mentor um, when I was in seminary. He's a lifelong friend now, Bud Frey. He said, if God calls you to be a missionary, don't you dare lower yourself to be a king or a president. Brothers and sisters, the Great Commission has not changed. But the times have changed. And I just want to challenge you. Let's use every warrantable exertion for their benefit by praying, by giving, by going, and by sending. Let's pray together. Father, I simply ask your spirit to work in our hearts, to challenge us, not just right now, but I pray you would bring this back to our minds. Lord, remind us that you've given us breath You've given us salvation, not just for ourselves, but to be a part of sharing this from here, Love 804, to the nations. So, Father, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you challenge us in our day to do all that we can to be a part of your great commission and join our place in your journey? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all appreciate the uh, D-Ray this morning. I tell you, I appreciate the, the, the challenge there and the, the, the way to think about that. You know, when I think about Christians throughout the last 2,000 years, and, and all of us one day standing before the Lord, there, there's one great commission in each of our lives. Every single one of us has been called to go, and you think about all of the Christians, the great majority of Christians that that could say, "Well, you know, Lord, I, I couldn't read or write. 
Well, you know, Lord, I had, I had absolutely no money. Well, Lord, I couldn't leave my, my village. Uh, I, I mean, do you realize almost anything they said, by the way, I don't think that get, lets them off the hook. The person that can't read or write, that has no money, that can't leave their village is responsible for the Great Commission. But gosh, when you think about the times we live in, what, what, I mean, we have everything. We have we have great knowledge, we have great ability, we have finances, so many things. Each one of us has that call to go into all the world. And uh, he, he broke it down. He gave us four ways. Our magnet only has three. Uh, not the sending part, but uh, we are, are sending. You, if you may have gotten one of these on the way in, if you didn't get one on the way out, just something to put on your refrigerator and remind yourself, hey, one day I'm going to stand before God. And, and he called me to do one thing, one thing whether I was healthy or unhealthy, one thing whether I was married or unmarried, one thing whether I was young or old, and that is to go. Doesn't matter what our status is, doesn't matter what all the various places we're praying about or trusting the Lord for, whatever we're doing, we're to be about the business of going. And so we wanted to put some, give you something you could uh, you know, put on your refrigerator, a little reminder, how am I praying, how am I giving, how am I going? So I hope you'll get one of those and then Wes has made available for us our, our, our trips uh, in the coming year and we have 10 trips in 2019. Way to go, Wes. Wes is over here working. Uh, looks like we're, we're, several of those are to Zimbabwe, several are, are to Nicaragua, a couple to Ukraine. Um, as a matter of fact, thinking of sending, we have a family uh, that we have sent to Ukraine, Todd and Veronica Gallagher, long, long time involved here at this campus. We're involved a number of years out at our Midlothian campus, and uh, we're having a mission lunch today. And Wes, aren't they Skyping in during that time? Lord willing, that's right. Lord willing. Gosh, that's just one more thing. And you, you, when you were Lottie Moon, when you got on a boat to go do missions, you said God, goodbye to life <laughs> and never going to return again. And boy, now with, with travel and communications, uh, missionaries have such tremendous opportunity and ability to, to, to come and go and remain connected to life. Uh, if you notice on the back of your thing, uh, D-Ray is from Georgia. I mean, he's a lifelong missionary, and I'm guessing he watched the Georgia-Florida game yesterday and, and probably celebrated. So you're, you're not Lottie Moon, are you? <laughs> you're still watching that Georgia football. But uh, folks, there's a, a lot of ways to be involved. And uh, as he shared that, of course, we consider our responsibility is to make it as easy as possible for you to do all of these things, to know to know how to do it, where to do it. So to pray, uh, obviously, I, I hope Todd and Veronica are a part of your weekly prayer life. If you want to know more about how to pray for missionaries, you can go to imb.org and uh, you'll find a place there where you can learn about different names and ways to regularly be praying for missionaries. You can ask Wes. He'll guide you to some of those things. Uh, then this is the giving and the going, the, the going up there on top, different trips that you can be involved with, and then uh, our missions budget. Now, I want to describe real quickly our, our missions budget. In our general budget, when you just give to the budget of the church each week, we do some mission things in there. Matter of fact, we do at least one big mission thing in there. That's our cooperative program giving. And over half of that goes to support uh, the IMB. And so we give a couple hundred thousand dollars out of the general budget to 
cooperative program giving and a variety of other things. What this represents is what we're just doing right here from our church. A lot of what we give to in the general budget is where we're partnering with other agencies and that kind of involvement. But here is where things we're doing right here from our church. And you see uh, money that's that'll be used locally, uh, money that'll be used here in Virginia, and then overseas in all of our overseas partnerships. And uh, that totals about $220,000 a year, which, gosh, in light of the stories today, I'm almost embarrassed to say that. That that would seem like literally if we all came up with quarters and nickels and some dollar bills, we ought to, I mean, 4300 a week is what it takes. That's like $2 a person. Uh, I'm... I, I'm sorry, D-Ray. I like I owe you an apology. I like we're not trying here. Uh, again, we've got giving that we do to our budget, and that supports missions. Here's some things specifically for our family. And uh, folks, I, I hope you'll realize that's that, that's what we're talking about here. We're literally talking about change you have in your uh, car and in your pocket uh, every single week. Would you Would you be thinking about hey, what would the Lord have us to do? me and personally or in my life uh, to join not only to give what we do to the church in our budget wise but what we do with missions so that's an information tool something for you uh, to pray about I hope you'll do that today and start next Sunday let's start next Sunday just one step of the various ways I want to show myself faithful before my Savior and Lord uh, as I stand before him, before the Great Commission. Uh, appreciate D. Ray here representing the International Mission Board for us today. And I, and I noticed, it, well, she didn't tell me they were going to be in here this morning, but our chosen children family uh, from Nicaragua, y'all stand up over here so we can see you. I know many of you know them personally. When you see Nicaragua on there, uh, we go to Nicaragua two to three times a year and have been doing that for five or six years now. As a matter of fact, I want to do two things. Uh, would you guys head on out now? Leave. Get out of here. <laughs> would y'all head out to the concourse right now? Get a, get a head start on leaving and because uh, I want to uh, go out there. And Wes, would you take D-Ray along with them and uh, out there in the center of the concourse and I want to make them available for y'all to go by and say hello and greet say I don't know any missionaries to pray for they just walked out the door right there and uh, you go out there and say hello to them and I know they'd love to give you some information about chosen children ministries and ways you can be praying and so folks what what Wes's job is is to give all of us an opportunity every single week to be involved in the Great Commission. Whether it's through a prayer I offer up to the Lord or in a way I give or in looking for an opportunity to go. And so that's what a lot of this represents. You'll see some more things out there today. Uh, hope you'll go out there and avail yourselves of that. Because one of the core values here at the Heights is we live to tell. Amen? Let's, let's be a little bit hearty about that. We live to tell. We live to tell in our neighborhood, we live to tell in the great state of Virginia, the Commonwealth, uh, and we live to tell all throughout the world. And I hope you're thinking and praying about how am I involved 
in all of those areas. Hey, I hope you'll come back next week. Remember that it is time change. We get that hour back they stole from us uh, in March. And uh, I always like to say next Sunday is the easiest Sunday of the year to come to church. Because we're all going to wake up and be sitting around. We'll have read the paper. We'll drink all the coffee we need. And uh, I sure hope you'll be here. Next Sunday, I'm going to do, I don't know if the word's special. I'm going to do a special presentation of the gospel. And, And I pray you'll be praying for our gathering next week. And what that will mean in our gathering, what it will mean to to each person that hears it. We, We live to tell. To tell what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What makes your heart beat today? Is it the good news? Is it the gospel? Listen, the gospel's for everyone. It's for those who've received it. And it's for those who haven't received it. So would you be praying about what the, the, the teaching, the preaching of the gospel next Sunday in this room will mean in your heart? What it'll mean in, in, in our gathering here at Midlothian? Maybe you've got somebody in your life. And, and I'm not asking you to think about them as a, a person who is saved or unsaved. Maybe you've just got somebody in your life that, man, you know what, it might be might be real encouraging for them where they are to hear afresh the gospel. Uh, be praying and thinking about inviting them next week to the easiest Sunday to come to church. Because we all got an extra hour. Amen? Amen.